This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Clyde Snow and Sessions, based in Salt Lake City with offices in Oregon and California. For over 65 years, Clyde Snow has represented clients throughout the West. Clyde Snow, serious about solutions. Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect, a podcast putting water into context. I'm Emily Lewis, your host, and I'm a water attorney here in Salt Lake City, Utah, practicing creative solutions to today's and tomorrow's water problems. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect, a podcast putting water into context. I have with me today, Elsif McDonald, who is the Senior Sales Manager at Plenty, which is an indoor vertical farming company based in San Francisco. And pretty much since the day I started this podcast, I've wanted to have Elsif on because I think that this is such an exciting and unique attribute to agriculture and really is a key component to our discussions about what agriculture looks like in the future and something that I think would be a good concept to explore and start to tease out here for Utah and the other Western states. So Elsif, uh, if you could... Could you just kind of give a brief introduction to kind of who you are, um, what your position is at Plenty, and kind of what the day-to-day operations of kind of what you do in your position and kind of the mission of your company? Sure. So it might help if I give a bit more information on the company overall before diving into the day-to-day, but basically we're fully indoor automated vertical farm. We use a hydroponic system, which just means recirculating water and we're really able to use a lot less water and land because of the way we're growing. And right now we are, we've launched our first commercial farm in South San Francisco. And so I'm based here and I work with our customers day to day to just make sure they're getting the products they need. I work closely with the farm and our fulfillment team to just make sure everything is going smoothly and customers get what they've ordered. Um, and right now we're selling leafy greens. So products like baby kale, baby arugula, and then some more unique blends as well. Um, Long term, we're hoping to bring products like strawberries and tomatoes and legumes to market. Uh, But right now we're just focused on on leafy greens. All right. Exciting. And so can you give me a little history about, you know, how did you come to this particular company and kind of how did you get involved in, in this operation? Yeah, so I actually started with a company called Bright Agrotech, and that was six or seven years ago. So it was quite a long time ago. And um, when I started with Bright Agrotech, Bright Agrotech was focused on um, just selling this vertical growing technology to customers utilizing greenhouses. So we started in Wyoming. And in Wyoming, it's obviously um, not always cost effective to be growing year round. And when you're heating a greenhouse and trying to be efficient, it doesn't make sense to just be utilizing one horizontal plane of production. And so by going vertical, you're able to get more plants per square foot and utilize the resources you're already paying for, like the heat um, or cooling in the summer. So we started as primarily using this technology, um, (laughs) a much more rustic version of the technology in greenhouses and selling to farmers who are trying to make their operations more effective. Um, And then over time, we realized there's a demand to bring this technology indoors and so we started doing that with bright agrotech and then three years ago we were acquired by plenty and so since that acquisition i've I've transitioned from 
working with small farmers to now working with retailers and getting these greens to market. Awesome. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, and plus Wyoming is the best state. Let's just say it out loud. <laughs> awesome. So for someone who is new to vertical farming and, and the concept of vertical farming, could you give kind of just like, a, if you were just to pick a sample project and, and a sample operation, you know, what are we looking at? Like, what would that look like if I walked into the facility? What kind of things are happening? How many people work there? Obviously dependent on the size of the operation. Paint a picture for what, what an indoor farm using vertical farming looks like. Sure, I will do my best, but I will say that if you're able to just Google Plenty and Tigris, they're really great pictures of the indoor farm because it's hard to do it with just words. But uh, when you walk in the farm, there's basically towers of, of greens. So you basically walk through an aisle of greens and in the center of those aisles, there is lighting. And then we also have robots in the farm that help us with some of the harvesting and planting activities. So you see some of the robots as well that are a little bit removed from the grow space. And then the, I mentioned before, the system is hydroponic. So we have water, set, water tanks set up and that water is recirculating through the walls of plants, basically. The plants take the water and nutrients they need. Anything that's not being used by the plants goes back into those water tanks and um, recirculates again. So we have the water, we have the plants growing, and then we have the robots that, that help keep the farm running. And then you mentioned too that there was also a light source. What kind of light source is that for the plants? Yeah, so we just used an LED light and um, it's one that we've built custom to what we're doing since the way we're growing is so unique. Um, we've also built out that technology um, to work in the most efficient ways possible. Awesome. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> so we have kind of a picture of, of, of what a operation might look like. Can you kind of tell me about, I mean, I heard several things in there right now about kind of like what your impact is from an operation like that. Cause you know, you've got led lights that are low energy. You've got recirculating water. Can you kind of tell me what an operation, this, what an operation, a vertical farming operation would look like compared to, you know, a traditional um, agricultural operation that's generally outside and outdoors? Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest difference is the amount of control we have over the environment. So not just light and water, but also heat and all the other factors that can be um, somewhat out of your control when you're growing outdoors. It's much more... Uh, we describe like outdoor agriculture as like running a manufacturing plant that you don't have control over. Whereas indoors, um, we just, we have that precision, uh, which makes the plants happier. We're able to not use pesticides um, and we're getting product from seedling out to harvest in 10 days. So we're able to move product through the system pretty quickly. Whoa, 10 days. That's very short. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm assuming then it's like a 24 hour growing period then like your lights run all day and all night. And, and um. Um, it, it depends. Um, not necessarily. I mean, plants do like a little bit of rest, but they can certainly handle a lot more daylight than they get out um, outside. Okay. So what kind of yields do you get in a production like this? Can you give us a comparison of kind of like what you would get on a, on a traditional farming versus kind of what you would get in the space that you'd have for a vertical farm? Yeah, so obviously the actual yield numbers will vary depending on the farm, but generally speaking, we can compare the amount of product we will get out of one of our farms 
if you look at a soccer field growing, uh, well, let's say it's growing kale or another leafy green, we can get that same amount of product that you'd be able to get from that size of field per year. We can get that same amount of product out of just the footprint of, of the goal. So it's a very sizable difference. We're using about less than 1% of the land and less than 5% of the water um, to get that yield. Sweet. Say that one more time. You're using less than 1% of the land and 5% of the water to get the same yield. Yep, as compared to traditional agriculture. That is crazy. Is there any kind of nutritional difference in between the two? I mean, I don't know. Is there any other reason yeah, that? Uh, it's pretty hard to study. I mean, what we do know, um, just based on other studies people have done, is that nutrition degrades over time. So if it takes seven days for a product to get from the farm to the shelf in the grocery store, you might be getting you know, 50% of the nutrients as opposed to when it was just picked. So our focus is on getting product from the farm to the shelf as quickly as possible. Awesome. So that leads me to, the, to my next question. Who are your clients? Like, who is the target audience for operations like this? You know, where do you see this fitting most in? And you know, as now you're working more on the retail side, and I don't know if retail is the right side, on the, on the customer service side, mm -hmm. you know, who are those folks and what are they really looking to do? Yeah, so we have, I guess, two customers in a sense. One is the retailers. So right now we're selling primarily through retail here in San Francisco. Um, but of course, the end consumer, who is the customer of our customer, is also important in what we do. So the person who ends up eating our product cares a lot about um, how environmentally friendly we are, the fact that we're not using pesticides, and then flavor is a really big thing as well. Um, we're able to focus on plants that bring out more flavor and uh, maybe harder to grow in the field and we can bring those to market. Um, and so if our, that end consumer, we're addressing what they are wanting out of the product, that also addresses you know, what our customers are looking for. Um, but in addition to the flavor and pesticide free, customers also care about shelf life as well. Um, and we find that because we're able to get product from the farm to them so quick, they have more time to sell it and more time to get that to the end consumer. All right. And are you envisioning, you know, what other, do, do you have one farm in operation now or do you have other operations around or what's the scale of, of plenty right now? Yeah, so we have one commercial farm in South San Francisco. And so that is our only farm right now where we are selling product to market. We are planning to build out a farm in Compton in this next year as well. Um, so that is in process. And then we do have one R&D facility in Laramie, Wyoming. So that's where our plant science team and that's where a lot of our research happens. Awesome. So you're seeing this as kind of more of an avenue to address food deserts and kind of urban food scarcity, or are you seeing this as a um, also a potential solution for, you know, other parts of the country like the West? Or where do you see this fitting in and kind of what needs do you see this meeting? Yeah, there's a, a lot of needs I, I see this fitting. One, we can just bring food closer to where people are actually consuming it, so we don't need to um, ship it thousands of miles across the country. Um, we also just, as a uh, country and you know globally, are not getting enough fruits and vegetables, so we still need field production, we need other indoor farms, we need to increase the overall amount of fresh produce we are bringing to market. The, I have a pretty fun stat here, actually. So people in the U.S. eat more fruits and vegetables per person, but it's still only half of what's recommended as part of a healthy diet. So 
And aren't they mostly potatoes? I read a terrible stat once. So like the, we eat a lot of vegetables, but when you take out potatoes, it's like minuscule. <laughs> yeah, potatoes and onions, I think, are a large set of that. Well, Idaho is the second best state in the union. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell me, like, who, who are your partners that you partner with? You know, do you come in? I mean, because I'm assuming if you're looking for the end user to be excited about the product and engage in the product, it's hard to just come into a community, you know, sight unseen. So do you suss out partners like the Compton um, project? Like, are you, you know, are you looking for people who are already in the community working on like local agriculture and this is like a supplement to that? Or like, how do you kind of find and, and suss out where you want to put a project? Yeah, so with Compton, we've worked really closely with that community to understand what the needs are there, understand the role agriculture plays in that community. Um, Compton actually is a very agriculture-focused community. It was, there's um, lots of farms there. They have community gardens. And so we've, we've worked really closely to understand the, the impact we can have there. And we definitely plan to hire from that community. Um, so, I mean, more generally where we pick farms is just going to be where we see um, market opportunity and um, especially, you know, the first few farms, you know, we've, we've announced Compton, but we're looking really broadly at um, what, what customers are there, what the current supply is, and trying to figure out how we can add value to, to different cities, both in the U.S. and then eventually globally as well. All right. So interesting. It's just it's just a different way of thinking about you know. I I love bringing the farm to the people. Do you see this as something scale? Because I mean, we here in Utah, you know, agriculture is such a huge interest and it's such a large part. I mean, eighty percent of our water in Utah is eighty-ish percent of our water in Utah is dedicated or, or owned by or used by the agricultural community. So you know, it really is a large percentage of our water portfolio for the state. And an important one, I mean, we did a survey maybe like five or six years ago called, I think it was your Utah, where we had Utah citizens rank various, you know, priorities and maintaining like a vibrant agricultural community was like really high on the list in terms yeah. of like culture and, and um, you know, keeping the, the money in the state for, for that, for producing stuff or producing crops. So, you know, the other issue of that though is with Utah, with Utah, we all have so much growth and we have so much, so many demands on our water. I do think agriculture is looked to as kind of like the bank for future water resources, you know, and like, you know, moving water out of agriculture and into municipal or industrial or industry flows and environmental. How do you see like vertical farms and kind of like indoor farming playing a role, you know, not so much in the inner city, but just kind of like as, I don't want to say replacement, that's not what I really mean by it at all, but like as a complement or a supplement to like existing traditional agriculture. Yeah, I think it'll long-term be this balance of, you know, what makes sense to grow indoors because not, you know, we're, we're not going to be growing apples indoors or, you know, I don't know if we could ever grow potatoes indoors. So there's certain crops that just are not a natural fit. At right now at least to indoor farming it, like leafy greens are a very um, easy plant to bring indoors and so I think there will be probably a transition over time of what crops can grow well and efficiently indoors in and things like leafy greens do use a lot of water and when you're shipping them it's you know 90% water so you're basically just shipping water around the country mm -hmm. um, so I think it'll start with the products that that are easy to grow indoors make sense and we can use 
the land for crops that don't grow well indoors. And then over time, hopefully we can grow more indoors and outdoors because we just are going to have a real supply shortage potentially in fresh produce if we're not utilizing all of these different systems and lands efficiently. So leafy greens, what other kind of crops are, are well suited to indoors? Yeah, so right now we're primarily focused on, on leafy greens, but things like fruiting crops like strawberries and tomatoes also have potential, potentially even legumes, but strawberries are high on our list to bring to market as, as those do pretty well indoors. And strawberries are tasty. <laughs> yes, and um, indoor grown strawberries are, are very tasty. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Can you tell us a little bit about what your exposure is to, you know, other systems? Like you have your system with the robots and, and the vertical, the, I don't know if you call them troughs. Like what do you, what do you call them? Like vertical stations? Um, what? Towers is how we usually just refer to them because they're just, you know, tall vertical structures. But there's also, so within controlled environment agriculture, there's other types of indoor farming technology as well as greenhouse technology. And, you know, in greenhouses or indoors, you can utilize a hydroponic or aeroponic system and the different ways you can grow um, in those environments and with those systems is different. So what's an aeroponic system? So there's, there's aeroponic systems, there's aquaponic systems. Aeroponic systems are where you're, you're basically misting the roots of a plant with water and nutrients. Uh, so you have, there's different types of, of technology that, that utilize aeroponic watering for the plants basically but yeah it's just little misters that hit the roots and make sure plants are getting what they need do they have a like a, like a solution that has nutrients in it or is it just water mist it's basically just water and nutrients and so depending on what you're growing you'll i mean just like in the field you're going to tweak the nutrients you're giving the plant to what the plant wants so like tomatoes want something pretty different than than lettuce so um the water, you know, is just a way to hold those nutrients and, and, and um, bring them to the plant. Okay, great. So, and then, um, so it's aeroponic, and then, you and then you mentioned aquaponic. Yep. Which is the same as hydroponic. So aquaponic's a little bit, it's different. So aquaponic is where you're using fish waste to get your nutrients for the plants. So you're using, it's a lot more water volume in the system because you need to have space for fish, and you'll use like tilapia, um, some people I think use like trout and there, there's different fish you can use um, but their waste is what provides the nutrients. Those can be, uh, we actually with Bright Architect did run an aquaponic greenhouse and sell via CSA in Laramie and those are a little bit harder to handle. They're great for um, greenhouses and smaller operations but at a large scale um, you're basically having to deal with two living systems both keeping the fish happy and the plants happy. So it can be a little bit harder to balance. Yeah, I can see that. And then hydroponic is just solely what you're saying, just, just water. And then, you know, it sounds like you get a recirculating system for the water. Once it's been applied, it's kind of brought back into a system and then reapplied again, essentially. So you're, you're pretty, pretty much consuming all of the water that you would apply to the plants just through multiple cycles, right? Yeah, exactly. And then the different technologies that can be used in a hydroponic farm, either you know, orient the plants in a horizontal or vertical way. And then there's typically some sort of media that's used to kind of keep some of that moisture close to the plants. So like, it can be dirt or, you know, a different, like a cocoa core or something like that, that just helps retain some of that moisture and nutrients so they're readily available. Um, and then that water is recirculating as well. Awesome. So is that water just typically just a, like a municipal connection? Like, are, I mean, are these, are yeah. these plants just like 
you're just in on the San Francisco water. You're just like an institutional water user, like a school essentially on a municipal system. Yeah, basically there's nothing that, you know, special that needs to, mm -hmm. <laughs> it needs to be there for us to be able to use that water. Of course, you know, we're adding nutrients and doing some filtering and things like that, but um, yeah, we just use the, the city water. So you mentioned when, when you had the, the kale example that you use 5% of the water that a traditional agricultural field would use, you know, in your facility, do you have an idea of how much water, how, first, how big is your facility in San Francisco? And then second, do you know how much water it takes to support that facility? Yeah, so I don't have the exact numbers on how much water we're using at the farm right now. Um, the, the, the farm where we're at, we've had a few evolutions of the technology. So it's our headquarters, it's where we're, you know, testing out new technology um, and also getting product to market and just learning through that as well. Mm -hmm. So the, the actual water uses would change as our technology improves as well. And then, sorry, what was the second part of your question? Um, just what the size of the facility is, like how many square feet or, you know, how big are we talking when you talk about your farm? Yeah, there's, um, so sorry, the whole building is 100,000 square feet. There are a few other companies in there. We have storage space, we have office space. So um, the building is big, but the, the farm is just taking up a portion of that building. Okay. That's not a huge footprint, actually, for commercial space. Um, yeah, no, it's not. But we don't need, yeah, we don't need to use all the space. Um, yeah. Just because we can it so effectively. So with that facility, you know, what is your yield like? Like when you are selling, do you sell directly to grocers? Do you go through CSAs? Like, and, and then what kind of volume of produce are you guys creating? Yeah, so it's all going directly to retailers. If you go to our website, you can see how many stores we're supporting now. We'll continue to, to bring on more stores throughout this year and next as well. So we're still very much scaling up the farm here. Oh, that's so exciting. You mentioned a few moments ago that you've been like tweaking your technology and, and uh, as you go. Um, what are some of the, what have you learned? Like, what are you learning along the way while you guys are doing this? Yeah, there's no shortage of lessons. <laughs> I mean, if you would just look at the equipment we were using with Bright Agritech and then um, compared to where we are now, it's pretty extreme. The evolution in both just the growing technology, but our understanding of you know what the plants need in that environment so it's it's almost like relearning what plants really want because in the field we're just doing our, our best to react to you know the elements we're given and and the things that you have to deal with whether you want to or not so in an indoor environment it's really interesting because there's just so much more to learn about you know even like you said um, mentioned with the lighting like how much lighting does a, a plant actually want and how much light is too much how much light is not enough so um, you know, we're learning more and more every day, but there's still so much we can learn um, now that we have control over all those aspects and ways to record that data and learn from it. Mm -hmm. And so who are these people who are doing that learning? Like, you know, what kind of people do you employ at the farm? Yeah, so our company is primarily made up of engineering and plant science. Um, we do have a, a big farm team as well. So even though the robots help, we do have a lot of people in the farm every day and helping keep an eye on the plants and bring that product to market. But yeah, plant science, engineering, and then the farm team is definitely the majority of our company. Okay, so how many employees do you have with your operation? Is this like a 10-person operation? Is this a 25-person operation? You know, you know how, how many people does it take to run you know, farm in the middle of San Francisco? 
Yeah, so we're actually up to over 300 employees uh, as a company, but um, those employees are spread out across both Laramie and San Francisco and are definitely not all involved in the day-to-day -day operation. Long-term, we want to scale our technology to markets around the world. And so there's a lot of work on the engineering and plant science side to make sure um, the technology can scale and we have you know, plants that can thrive in these indoor systems. Oh, that's a lot more people than I thought would be involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot. So then if you have 300 employees that are kind of, you know, keeping tabs on, on the operation and how it's evolving, um, what do the robots do? Yeah, so the, I mean, our farms will always be a combination of uh, technology and people. Um, the robots can do some of the simpler things in our farm. Um, they help us with harvesting and planting. Um, we still need people there to make sure the robots are <laughs> staying on track. And, um, you know, we always have people checking our product to make sure it's hitting our quality specifications and it's, you know, the high quality product we want to be sending to market. So um, there always be that balance of the tech and the people um, to make sure we're, we're growing efficiently, but also not compromising on anything either. Do you feel like you live in a sci-fi, like a, a sci-fi film sometimes when you go down on the floor? Kind of, because I've watched it evolve though, um, it's, I'm, you know, I'm used to it, I'm seeing it day to day, but whenever I just take a step back and just look at the farm or think about how far we come, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think it's very exciting. It's very, very exciting. So how are you planning on scaling? Like, you know, you mentioned you want to go, you know, national and global, kind of like, what are your plans for doing that? How are you going to accomplish that? Yeah, so um, our farm in San Francisco is actually, where, you know, where we are um, making sure that the technology is working. Um, we'll continue to evolve. So our latest version of the technology is it's called Tigris. So um, making sure that, you know, what we plan for when we're looking at designing a farm is actually what happens when we're running the farm day to day. So um, when we expand to Compton, that'll be the next big step up. And, um, you know, every time we open a farm or start using new technology, there's lessons learned. But over time, you know, we shouldn't be um, having to learn as many lessons the hard way. And once we feel like we're at a good spot with that technology, then we can start scaling faster. Yeah. Do you have, I mean, to me, the intersection of water and tech is a hot place to be. You know, I, th I just think that the reality is, is that scarcity is, is the mother of invention. And I think that the scarcity component of water is, is um, becoming very real to lots of people. And mm -hmm. so I think a lot of people are interested in figuring out, you know, how do we measure our water? How do we meter our water? How do we, you know, adopt technologies to use it more efficiently? Um, and so do you are in, you're now in the, the tech hub of San Francisco from the other tech hub of Laramie, Wyoming. <laughs> um, are you finding that people are coming to you wanting to invest and be involved in this project? I mean, to me, it seems like if I were out there in the world looking for a cool project to put some, some support behind, this would be a really, really interesting one and a good one to do. Yeah, you're not the only one who sees the opportunity to um, be more efficient, reduce water use. We, we have raised money from um, like SoftBank Vision Fund, Bezos Expedition, innovation endeavors. So there's definitely a lot of interest in ways to, um, you know, reduce water usage and see this technology be available more broadly. And yeah, there, there's no shortage of interest there right now. Everyone knows that we need to be more effective with farming and our, and our water use. So um, yeah. yeah, we definitely see a lot of interest. 
do you have are you guys involved is there a community of kind of the of the controlled environment agriculture is you know do you guys have conferences you know is there who else is out there playing in this space right now and you know what kind of collaborations or work do you do not work with but you know um you know learn from because if you're you know you're learning so many lessons on your farm and if this is a you know global need it seems it makes sense to kind of talk to your, your contemporaries um and colleagues is there a, a vibrant community that you, you guys are working with that is also doing this in other spaces and fields yeah so there's i guess a few ways to look at that. there certainly are conferences like um you know indoor ag tech um, which is an annual conference there the tricky thing is that people are using this technology at so many scales so there's both you know small farmers or people um, like with Bright Agritech, we worked with a lot of people just trying to grow food for their family in a small amount of space. So there's, you know, anywhere from people using technology like this at their home all the way up to um, the scale we're talking about. Um, the, there's definitely collaboration in different areas, you know, with companies at, at a larger scale. Um, but the technology is different enough. There are things like food safety that we can all align around and make sure that we're doing um, what we can to educate consumers on why the, the products are are safe and so there's certain things like that that are true across uh, indoor farms but when it comes to you know how we're saving water the systems are pretty different um, and it is more of a proprietary topic I guess the technology that's being used and everything so there's less collaboration when it comes to those specifics but certainly collaboration around educating consumers and customers around the benefits of these systems yeah I, I think that that makes sense perfectly um i know because it's uh so vertical harvest in jackson hole uh, you know i follow on the the other technology platform called instagram <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um i i think that that is one enterprise that has done just a fantastic job of promoting their mission and promoting kind of the concept and, and being in a location like jackson hole where there's so many mm -hmm. Um, people who are already coming through that space it's such a great introduction to kind of some of the concepts of you know controlled environment environment agriculture um, it's exciting to see it gaining kind of attraction like a public face traction in a sense that it's a um, it's exciting people get excited about it yeah there's a lot of really cool projects that's definitely one of them there's um, yeah there, there's so many cool applications of the technology and that's why it's really exciting is uh, you know, someone can be growing produce in a shipping container in Alaska or in an old warehouse in Alaska. Um, there's a lot of ways to utilize spaces that may not have normally been utilized at all. Um, even, yeah, like Vertical Harvest in Jackson, just on the side of a parking garage. Um, so it's really cool to see how people are utilizing this technology in ways that we could not have before. Yeah, and will continue to think about and evolve. Yeah, um, definitely. Cool. Well, also, those are kind of my primary questions for you. Do you have anything else you, you'd want to add or, you know, something that, you know, strikes you fun and interesting about what you do or that you would like, you know, kind of listeners to like take away? I would just mention again, it's worth looking at some photos of these different projects and seeing, you know, how the, the technology is different. There's really a lot of variety in terms of how everyone's using technology and growing, whether it's in a greenhouse or indoors. Um, so it's pretty cool to just see how it's evolving and how far we've come in such a, a short amount of time. And I'm just excited to see how things continue to evolve over the next five plus years because the progress we've made in these last five to 10 years is, is really amazing. Yeah, I concur. Well, 
one, I think what you're doing is great. Two, I'm really glad that you could share it with us. And three, I agree that I'm excited to see what happens in the future. Yes, it's going to be fun. Totally. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Elsif. And um, we might have to check back in and see how things go in your Compton facility going. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Nothing said in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. This podcast was produced by Mackenzie Nichols. Find Ripple Effect on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.